seated. Uh, my name is Pastor Johnny. I'm the campus pastor here at the bridge. And uh, before I get into it, I just want to say I am like a little nervous because my former pastor is here this morning. If you like what I do, you can thank him. If you don't like what I do, you can blame him. It's his fault. Uh, Jeff uh, was my pastor in Orange City, and uh, he got me started in this whole ministry thing. Uh, mentored me and continues to mentor me in really beautiful ways. He's in Newton now and had a Sunday off and wanted to spend it here. So that's really great. And I just wanted to say, uh, Jeff, I'm so glad you're here. It's like having my dad here. Uh, it's really beautiful for me. So if you see a tall, skinny man, he didn't used to be skinny, so I have to say that part. If you see a tall, skinny man with me after the service, come say uh, uh, either thank you or I'm angry. Uh, you know, it just depends on what you think of the, the work that's being done here. Okay. Uh, We're still in our unique series. We're continuing our unique series this morning, but I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know if that's what I should do. Um, When it came around and, and you know, I'm going to preach at both campuses, and I knew that I was going to have the chance to be in front of both of the congregations, uh, in light of everything that's happened this week, I really wrestled and thought through, is this the best thing, to continue the unique series? Should I step in? Should I do a one-off message? about something else, to try to address some of the things that are going on. I didn't know quite what to do. I wrestled a lot with uh, what this part of the service should look like at at both of the campuses um, and uh, how to speak into this moment that we find ourselves in. So I I went back and I looked at the notes that I had written down for myself uh, when we started thinking about the Unique Series months and months and months ago. And I looked at the notes for this topic that we're talking about today, community partnerships, and uh, I looked at the passage that I had uh, written down as what I wanted to preach out of when we got to this point, and I, I sat and looked at all that, and I started to really believe that this was the message that I was supposed to preach this morning, that, that I would continue the unique series this morning, that I would talk about community partnerships, because I believe that the message of this passage that we're going to read together, the message of this sermon, is that the work of God in the world is larger than we often believe. The work of God in the world is bigger than what we often have the imagination to understand. It's bigger than one church. It's bigger than one staff member. It's bigger than any, any of us put together. And so I thought this would be the right thing to look at this morning. I believed that the passage that we were going to look at would offer some helpful perspective to think through uh, where we are and what we're doing as far as the work of God in the world. And so if you know me, you know my favorite place to go for perspective is the Old Testament. Another Old Testament sermon. You guys love it, I'm sure. Uh, I love it. I love going to the Old Testament because the people of God have always been going through crazy stuff. Like when you read the Bible and you read the Old Testament, you see that the people of God have always found themselves in times of transition. They've always found themselves kind of in sticky situations. They've been in messy places and spaces where they had to figure out what it meant to follow God, what it meant to move forward as the people of God. And uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, as Ecclesiastes, also the Old Testament, says there's nothing new under the sun. And so even though we think, well, our society is so different, we have technology, we have this, really the problems are always the same. And so we're going to go to the Old Testament today because there's perspective there. There's wisdom there in the Old Testament. And what's true for God's people thousands of years ago is still true for us today. And that's such a beautiful gift to have uh, at our fingertips. So let's open up. We're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to go verse 1 and then skip down verses 4 through 9. 
This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4, this is the text of the letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was 18 years old, I started attending a small Bible college. Jim, give me the picture. Pillsbury Baptist Bible College, like the Doughboy. This, this is where I started my higher education career. Um, and it was a little Bible, Bible college in Owatonna, Minnesota. It really was called Pillsbury. Uh, and that's where I felt like I should go to learn and become a pastor. And then after two weeks, I've told some of this story before. After two weeks there, I was like, I don't want to be a pastor. Uh, and so I, got, I had to leave. I had to get out of there. And so I called my parents, my beautiful, wonderful, accepting, loving, gracious parents. And I said, guys, I'm ready to come home. And they said, no, you're not coming home. So, okay, so I hung up and I called my sister, my beautiful, loving, accepting, gracious sister who lived in Ohio. And I said, I got to get out of here. And she said, sure, come out and live in Ohio. So I did. I went, I packed my bags, I got on a plane, and I left Owatonna, Minnesota, Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. And I went to live in Toledo, Ohio with my sister. Um, Two weeks into living with my sister, my brother-in-law looked at me and he said something very profound and wise to me. He said, you need to go get a job. (laughs) He did. (laughs) He said, you need to go get a job. Like, and here's the thing. I, I, I knew I was not going to live in Toledo, Ohio for that long. Like, my goal was to get back. I had a girlfriend in Iowa named Kayla, uh, who I'm now married to, and I had to get back to see Kayla. And uh, I knew I'm not going to move to Toledo full time. So I was kind of just moping around. I was staying up late and waking up late and, you know, doing all this different kind of stuff and just moping around the house. And Phil said, you need to get a job. You need money, right? You need something to do. But most of all, what Phil knew is that I needed some purpose. I needed purpose. I needed something that I was going to go and do every day. So Jeremiah was a prophet who lived in the last days of the ancient nation of Judah. We've talked about some of this stuff in church before. I don't expect you to remember all the geopolitical details of ancient Israel. That's not really that important to the story. But the ancient nation of Judah had Jerusalem as its capital. This is where God's people lived. And Jeremiah was a prophet, and he came to them, and he said, if you don't turn things around, like, God's going to come and punish you, and you're going to be carried away from your land into exile. You're going to be taken away from Judah, from Jerusalem, into exile, and uh, scattered amongst the Babylonians. 
And uh, spoiler alert, they did not change their ways. And so this is exactly what happened. King, uh, the king of Babylon shows up. He conquers is, uh, Judah. He destroys the temple in Jerusalem. And he carries the people, half of the people, away into exile, uh, away from their homeland of Israel. And that's where Jeremiah, he lived before, during, and after this time of exile. That's who Jeremiah was, and that's what he was talking to the people about. And it's into that situation, the people have just been taken into exile. They've just had all of their homes ransacked and looted and everything else, and they've been taken into exile. That's the moment that Jeremiah writes this letter that we read this morning. And uh, they're miserable. The people of God are, are unhappy in, in exile. They're miserable to be there. They don't want to be there. They just want to get back home. They don't think that they need to be here. They're just trying to get out and they're looking just to leave Babylon as soon as possible. And so Jeremiah basically says to the Israelites, you need to go get a job. You need to go get a job. Stop moping, stop being miserable. It's time to get to work. The Israelites did not see their exile in Babylon as a permanent situation. They really believed they could apply some positive thinking and they would just be right out of there again. They'd be out of their ASAP, no problem. The situation in Babylon was temporary. They're not stuck there. They're going to get out soon. And so why invest any time? And instead, Jeremiah comes with a very different message for them. Jeremiah says, build houses, plant gardens, have children, throw wedding ceremonies, work for the peace and prosperity of the city. Put down roots, establish yourself in Babylon, increase in number and don't decrease. And inherent in that call to plant themselves in Babylon, to get their hands dirty, to plant gardens and build houses and all that different stuff, inherent in that call, God was making a statement about his work in the world and our participation in it. See, the land that the Israelites had left, the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem was very important to them. They called it the promised land for a reason. This land was what they saw as their inheritance. It was their connection to the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. This was the place that Yahweh actually lived. They believed that God inhabited the temple. And the Old Testament says God's presence inhabited the temple. They thought of this as God's house. And so at festivals and at feasts, they would go to God's house because they wanted to talk to him. If you want to come talk to me, you have to come see me at my house. It was the same with God. They believed that the physical land that they occupied, the physical boundaries of their place, Judah and Jerusalem, were important, and that God lived within the boundaries of that place. That was their conviction about the land and the place that they lived. God was present there. And so they believed that as long as they were there, they would be where God was, and he would be where they were. Babylon, on the other hand, was a place of strange gods, Babylon didn't belong to Yahweh. It didn't belong to the Hebrew God. It didn't belong to people who knew their way of life. That wasn't the home of the temple. They didn't go there to see God. God didn't live there. Babylon was a strange place with strange gods and strange people. There was no sense of physical blessing and protection in the cities that the Israelites had been carried away to. They had found themselves in a place that they did not believe God was. Work there wasn't any better than slavery because no matter what they did, it would belong to Babylon and not to God. It wouldn't be theirs. Even if they built a house and it was theirs, they wouldn't feel like it was theirs because it was in Babylon and Babylon didn't belong to them. It didn't belong to God. And in light of that, God's words to them offered a very powerful 
counter-narrative. God is telling them a story about his presence. God is telling them a story about where he is and where his work is happening. God is offering them a counter-testimony to that which they had been uh, grown up believing, that he was present only in Judah. God says, by saying plant gardens, build houses, increase and not decrease, what he's saying is, I am in Babylon. God is saying that he is present with his people and he is inhabiting the world even though the ground they walk on is different and the people around them are strangers and the temple that they loved so much is in ruins thousands of miles away. God is telling his people that there are no limits to the space he occupies and that he is with them even in a strange land. Just as God made the crops grow in Judah, he will make them grow in Babylon. Just as God occupied the temple in Jerusalem, he will come and live with his people in their new cities in Babylon. God was telling his people that he was at work beyond the borders of their land, outside the walls of their temple. And now they had a chance to join his work in these new places. He says, I have always been at work in Babylon. You thought I was only at work in Israel among the Hebrews, but that's not the case. God says, I've always been at work in Babylon. I've always been at work at the ends of the world. And now you have an opportunity to come and join the work that I'm doing in these other places, in these strange lands. So on her uh, 16th birthday, my wife was having a very bad day. Uh, 16th birthdays are supposed to be like these balloons, right? Pink and happy and sweet. Um, and instead, what she had was uh, a very bad day. So she went to school, and when you have a, a birthday during the school year, your friends are supposed to, like, put streamers on your locker and bring you cupcakes and sing, like, happy birthday in homeroom. They didn't do any of it. Crickets, man. It was like nobody even remembered that it was her birthday. It was like the worst day of her life. And she had to go to work after school and she had to work and nobody there said happy birthday either. It was like, does anybody even love me? Does anybody even know? And here's the thing. Uh, you don't know my wife like I know my wife. You don't forget her birthday. There's just a couple rules. That's one of the rules. You don't forget her birthday. She was feeling terrible for herself. She's mad at her friend. She's sad at the situation. She's upset. It's a terrible day. She's driving home from, from work. She's feeling terrible. She walks into her house and there's a gigantic surprise party waiting for her. All the streamers, all the cupcakes, all the obnoxious renditions of happy birthday, right? All of her friends are there. Her family's there. They're having this huge celebration. They all remembered. It's Kayla's birthday. There's this huge party that they were all preparing in advance for her to just show up and find. There's this party that now she can participate in and, and realize that they have remembered. They've been at work this whole time. They love her very, very much, and they have done all of this for her. Um, what's true about Babylon, what was true about Babylon, is still true for us today. God is at work in the world preparing awesome parties all around us. God is at work in the world doing his work all over the place. And our responsibility is to go and find it and join it. Our responsibility is to walk into the party that has already been prepared there for us and join in the work that God is doing all around us. So often in church, we get the belief that we are the party. We get the sense that we, this is the place. These are, this is the new temple. These are the walls that God lives in. And, and people need to come from out there 
to in here to find God and to learn about God and to grow in God. We get the sense that the work of God happens here primarily. We get a very promised land mentality about ourselves and our physical space and our official programmatic offerings. We get a very promised land sense of who we are as a people and what we're doing for the world. And we can be a little bit like the Israelites in Babylon. And we can get to thinking that what's happening out there is not as important as what's happening in here. This is the primary place that it's happening. We get this mentality about ourselves. But here is the truth for us this morning. The work of God in the world is bigger than one church. The work of God in the world is bigger than one program. The work of God in the world is bigger than one staff person. The work of God in the world is bigger than all of our ministries, as amazing as I believe they are, put together. The work of God in the world supersedes all of that. It's so much bigger and grander in scale than anything that we could possibly do as one church here. And that does not mean that our church or our staff or our ministries are not important pieces of God's work in the world. They absolutely, if they weren't, I wouldn't have any interest in being here. If, if our work wasn't important to the kingdom of God, if our work wasn't vital to what God is doing in the world, I wouldn't have any interest in being a pastor anymore. It's not the case. But it is the case that God's work is even bigger than that. That, that, that God is over all of creation and at work in all of creation and, and is alive and active outside the walls of this church and inside the walls of this church. And so if you're a guest this morning and you heard what Pastor Suzanne talked about and you're thinking to yourself, what kind of church is this? What kind of moment is this church in? What kind of situation is this church finding itself in? What kind of place? You're trying to sort out what's happening at this place. Here's the answer to that question. This is a church that believes that the work of God in the world is so huge and so vital and so important that it transcends our work in this building, and we are called to join it in the places that it's happening. We have community partnerships because we believe that God's work is so much bigger and so much grander than what we could accomplish by ourselves. We partner with the places in the community for the flourishing of our city, for the prosperity of the places that we live. Just like the Israelites in Babylon, we are called to plant gardens and build houses and live as a people who are meeting God where he is at work all around us. Here's the truth. For Israel, that was a very hard message to hear. Jeremiah's letter did not make them happy. They did not like getting this letter. Because what they also had as Jeremiah is sending this letter is they had a whole bunch of false prophets who were working the circuit and who were saying things like, it's just, this is just a blip on the radar, guys. Don't worry about it. We're going to go back to Israel ASAP. Like, this is nothing. The exile is going to be over. Don't worry about it. We're, we got this all handled. Don't put down roots. Don't even unpack your bags because really this isn't going to last. We're going to go home. And there's all these false prophets who are delivering all this false positive hope. And Israel is looking and saying, well, why, why should we believe Jeremiah when we can believe that? Why should we listen to what Jeremiah is saying about planting gardens and building houses when we can listen to these people who are saying, it's not so bad. We'll get back out of this real fast. And so God, in what we read today, deals with the false prophets. God says, do not let these prophets deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. 
God says, don't listen to them because listening to them will distract you from the reality that I am at work in Babylon. That my presence can be found even here in a strange land. When we listen to the false prophets and when we listen to the voices, we will miss out on the party around us. And that was a warning God gave then, and it's still a warning that we can heed today. The thing is, I don't think that our false prophets bring a message of false hope. When I thought about this, I thought, what our false prophets do is they bring a message of cynicism. Why work for the betterment of society? The systems are too broken, so any work that we do on an individual level doesn't mean anything anyway. Why should I help these people over here uh, when these people over here are hurting as well? I mean, why do they deserve it more than they deserve it? Why should I give money and time and resources to, to this when I barely have enough for myself? And these voices of cynicism, they tell us there's not enough to go around. They tell us there's people who aren't worthy of the mission of God. These voices of cynicism tell us it's not worth the trouble because the work of God in the world is, is, can't possibly contend with the hardships that are happening all around us. The systems are too broken. The people are too messed up. The places are too, you know, what's the point? And our prophets bring the voice of cynicism. God's message to those voices this morning is the same as it was to the Israelites in Babylon. Those voices are lying. God is present in the broken world. God is present with those who are so often deemed undeserving. God has given us enough time and resources and will continue to give us enough time and resources to serve him and to go to work and to join the parties that he is throwing all over our communities. The voices that are so cynical, the voices that say it doesn't matter, that what's the point, that why even get started, those voices are lying. And God is instead drawing us in and saying, keep your eyes open because there's parties happening in Babylon. There are places where you can find the work of God outside of these walls and join in with the work of God and be on mission for God's kingdom all around you. Don't listen to the cynicism because the hope of God is always stronger. And so we are called to build houses and plant gardens and pray for the flourishing of the neighborhoods we are rooted in and called to join the work of God in the world to recognize where he is at work and active and walk in and join the party. That's what our community partnerships are all about. Whether the organizations have Jesus in the name or don't, we believe that God is at work. My prayer for us is that we would have eyes open to see those parties and be willing to walk into them when we find them. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you don't need us to get the work done, but you ask us to join you in the work. God, if you left it just up to us, we would just house ourselves up in these, in these boxes, and we would say, if people don't come here for it, they're not going to get it. But God, what you do is you transcend all of that and you go out in the world and you get active and you go among people who don't even know your name and you start to do work. You start drawing people to yourself. You start to build the kingdom. And then we come to those places and we see them and we say, wow, what a God we serve. Who doesn't need a temple to be present in the world? 
who doesn't need boundaries and borders to do his work. And so, God, I pray that we would join in with your work where we see it. That, God, when we see work that needs to be done in secular spaces like Hoover High School, we would run to it and do it. When we see work that needs to be done in Christian places like Joshua Christian Academy, we would run to it and we would do it because all we're doing, God, is joining your work. You have prepared it in advance for us to do, God. What a beautiful gift for us. God, I thank you that your mission is larger than this church. And yet, that you involve this church and draw us and call us to engage your mission in the world. What a gift, God. We love you. And we are uh, so privileged to join in with your love for the world. I pray that you would fill us up as we turn our heads toward that endeavor. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen.